Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with us once again. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out, co-host, producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, I don't know how the hell we pulled this off, but we did. We got Lou Maresca in the house, twit.tv this week in Enterprise Tech in the house live. We're going to be talking all things about his uh, 10-year run on his uh, podcast and video podcast and uh, all the things that go along with life there. And they get in the weeds. They're nerds, man. It's 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 This is going to be a fun conversation. You could find us online, itinthed.com. And do us a favor, give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere podcasts are sold. Don't forget, by the time this podcast releases, it's going to be the 8th. Is it the 18th, Randy, or the 19th? 19th. 19th. I never look. I never write this stuff down. We're going to be at the Eastern Palace Club for uh, our third Thursday meetup.com slash IT in the D. Five to eight, no speakers, no sponsors, just a bunch of IT nerds with tiki drinks in their hands talking shop. Lou, how they treat you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Bob. No, it's honestly, I, I, I rarely say it's an honor. It's been a few times, but uh, no, it's like you're, you're one of the godfathers, man. It's, it's a, actually, it's fantastic to have you on the show. We sincerely appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. You know, it's funny that you said that, obviously, because our show was started by a, uh, a Jesuit priest. So I always feel like uh, he handed it off to me after he decided to have a higher calling and go to Rome and to the Vatican. And then uh, I feel like there's something in there somewhere, some some <laughs> higher calling. Did he bless you? Did he splash water on you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's you still right. here from Padre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I listened to some other shows on the network of, that he was on, but uh, he still he still comes on actually on, on some of the Twitch shows once in a while. You know when he when they allow him to to kind of get out and venture out, but. Uh, but we try to get him back on and twice. He's always busy. He's always like, oh, I'm dealing with streaming stuff for the Pope and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little more important. So congrats on uh, episode 500. It was funny. Uh, unbeknownst, uh, Randy and I both listened to your latest episode. And uh, Randy's like, yeah, a lot of that went over my head. I go, yeah, it sounds like work to me. Like it felt like I was at work. Um, but man, you guys get in the absolute weeds. Like how um, we do. Like with, with us, this so back, we've been doing this as long as you guys have for about 10 years. And we used to read stuff all week and then we'd create like just a Gmail thread with all the, and we wouldn't talk about it during the week because we're all friends. And then we get on the show and we're like, oh my God, did you hear about this? Or what did you know about that? And you, what about this new thing that came out? And then we'd kind of have these natural, uh, right. you know, how, how do you guys like, are you guys go through the same transgressions to pick topics? Like what's, what's always, the process always, like? Yeah. I think the, you know, we started out following the same format that we did when we first started, where we start out with just the news blips, which is like we, we find out different stories that happen during the week and we put it in our own voice and we just kind of talk about it. And and then our, the, the bites ended up being topics that one of us saw that kind of hit home for us. And then we went and talked about it a little bit more and then brought the others in and got their thoughts on it. And I would say those topics usually are, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the topics that really get us heated about stuff, you know, the the ones that, you know, maybe they're talking about Adobe fixing, you know, AI generated images. Well, yeah, that's bullshit. Right. So, <laughs> so like that's not going to happen anytime soon. And so like, you know, we, we want to talk about that. So I think that's usually how, and it usually comes together pretty late in the day and in the week because things come out, things, issues happen, like the DDoS attack and Google recently, we wanted to really dig into that and how they solved it. So stuff like that, I would say, you know, uh, Curtis Franklin is a security security analyst for IMDN. He's in the weeds every day with lots of corporations, you know, just like you guys are dealing with companies and real solutions. And he always has stuff he needs to talk about that he hasn't been able to write about or analyze. And so he brings a lot of the topics to the table too. And then Brian Chi, who's, uh, you know, working, he's just a solutions guy. He, he's been a solutions guy for his entire life. He worked in uh, you know, he, he builds these networks and these solutions for lots of different organizations. And so he's always bringing cool stuff to the table. I'm usually the boring one. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually, I just ask the questions and let the smart people talk. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but you guys had, I was, uh, I was excited to see you I had a friend of a uh, friend of our show and a friend of the Detroit scene, Jeff Maracini on lately. Um, how did you get, he's the CISO of Altair. If you haven't met him and he's like one of the PenguinCon uh, uh, always a volunteer. How did you guys end up getting hooked with Jeff? You know, it's funny because we we do a lot of shows and a lot of people are in the we have like a live chat room. We have like an old old school IRC chat room. And then we have uh, uh, the, the members only discord uh, channels as well. And he's in both of them. Okay. And uh, the other day, you know, we did a show on out of band networking. We showed some tools and some fun stuff. Uh, and Brian, Chi did a demo and he decided he was going to go try out some of the solutions. And he did. Uh, and he he brought that that he bought a bunch of these these networking devices for his team. 
and they just loved him. And so they sent a nice letter over. He sent a nice letter over to Brian. And Brian was like, this is awesome. Like, we'd love to just have you on. This will be like a new thing for us, new segment to bring people on who listen, who take some of our recommendations, because a lot of times we we don't really know what we're talking about, but sometimes we do. And when we do, it's we should we should be known. We should we should know when we are. Uh, and so he came on and just kind of talked about his solution. And it was just a, it was just awesome just to see, you know, people being able to re- reuse our information that we we pass out there. And, you know? and it helps when it's an international billion dollar company, too. And he's the CISO. <laughs> it's not like well, it's- his, I was surprised to hear all the things that they were doing. And then he was like, oh, yeah, we just use this like, you know, $30 device. And it's really changed our world. And I'm like, man, that's just awesome. Just his office is off of a famous uh, I don't know if you know the intersection in Detroit. It's in Troy, Michigan, and it's uh, off I-75 and it's exit 69 Big Beaver Road. So that is a uh, <laughs> but funny story. I used to go to Detroit all the time. I, I actually went to to college at University of Toledo. Oh, okay. Detroit um, Light, Detroit Junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so we used to go obviously to Windsor all the time. We used to go to Greek Town. We used to go like you know we used to go everywhere in Detroit. So I used to spend a lot of time up there. My daughter just turned nineteen. Uh, we took her to Windsor to order her first drink legally. Um, she goes to Michigan <laughs> State, so it wasn't her first drink, but uh, like <laughs> that was a very that was a that was a very cool. Is Windsor still nice up there? They still keep it at nice. It's like three bars. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty crappy. Yeah. It's ever since they made everyone use passports. And right. the dollar wasn't a buck fifty for a buck. It, it oh, pretty much yeah. died. All, like so, that, that was the running joke. Is Bentley still there? Is Don Cherry? Yeah, they're all gone. All of them are gone. Um, <laughs> so I always like starting with like uh, origin stories, right? Uh, anyone that's been in tech over over you know the period once you got a little gray in your beard, I love talking origin stories. Yep, yep, um, yep. What what originally got you? Uh, I guess into tech. What was your uh, f- what was your first bod modem? I guess is let's go there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 2400. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say what really got me into it was, you know, when I was in, yeah, you know, I, I first started out in, in building, uh, in programming Atari cartridges. And that might sound like an obligatory thing to say, obviously, because the, uh, you know, Elon in the latest, what is Isaac's book? He talks about, that's how he started to Elon Musk. But I Did think he really, the I didn't reality know is, yeah, he, he said it's exactly how he started out too, is programming these, these, uh, these Atari cartridges, 2600. Wow. So, uh, but anyways, that, you know, the reality is that's where I started as well. And I'd say worked my way through all that, um, and, you know, worked way through IBMs and, and Macintoshes. And, and I'd say in high school, I had um, a really good mentor who it was, it was actually a woman librarian who had a computer, started building a computer center and she wanted to get people you know, programming in basic in there. And so she, she actually hired somebody in and I, I got to start learning basic and, um, and that's when I knew I wanted to get into into computers. And I had a good friend who who ended up being an amazing entrepreneur, Adam Jackson. He started a bunch of companies in in San Francisco. Um, uh, one of them is called Brain Trust right now. It's uh, it's a uh, it's using you know uh, um, the it's using the blockchain to manage um, you know, hiring people and, and and being able to share their wealth with uh, with the you know instead of having a gig economy. Um, and so anyways, he, he kind of got into selling computers to build them and sell them. And so I got into that as well. And, and we started building them and, you know, and I started working at places like CompUSA and I used to use my, my discounts at CompUSA back in the day in Circuit City when they were still around when Best Buy didn't crush them. Um, and then, uh, and, and then I just worked my way through that. I actually went to college, uh, for electrical engineering because I thought I was going to go into hardware design. And, uh, and then I spent about six months in a laboratory uh as an intern for for intel when they were the itanium group over here in shrewsbury massachusetts and then i knew i didn't want to be in a laboratory anymore i knew i wanted to actually do some stuff that help customers um and when i went back to school i actually decided to to, i was going to jump to computer science but i ended up double majoring because there was only a couple extra credits you have so much so much stuff you have to become an electrical engineer for you got you know extra credits is nothing so um, I did that, and then I went to a career fair up in Michigan, University of Michigan's career fair, um, and there was a company called Creative Solutions up there, um, which used to, I think you guys are familiar, it was purchased by Thomson Reuters about maybe 10 years ago okay. uh, over, in, over in Ypsilanti over there. Um, and I worked for them. They made a, comp- a product called UltraTax. Um, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to... They were offering internships and co-ops to this this thing, and so I took a job over there, my first software job um, as an intern. And you know, I worked with so many eccentric CPAs in that business of like helping them, 
you know, cheat their way through people's taxes with the, the logic <laughs> in the background that right. I was, I got, I got hooked. I was like, this is fun. Like I like to change the logic and, um, and I, I got to work with a lot of really cool people. Um, and so I decided to just start taking different jobs. In fact, I worked as a systems control engineer at Anheuser-Busch. I used to program their PLCs. Uh, I worked at Intel again. Um, I worked at AMD at one point, just kind of like taking these random jobs that, that did different things, whether it's hardware programming, firmware programming, um, just high level software programming. So anyways, long story short, it just got me hooked on developing software and getting into that, that side of things. And then when, Again, I went back to the Michigan Career Fair and Microsoft was there and they were hiring for their latest Great Plains acquisition that they and they called it Microsoft Business Solutions at the time. Um, and they had just branded it. And uh, I went in for an interview and, you know, lo and behold, there's Doug Burgum. I don't know if you guys know Doug Burgum. He's the one of the latest GOP candidates that's out there trying to go up against Trump. Um, and uh, he's the governor of North Dakota now, but he used to be uh, an entrepreneur. He started Great Plains Software years ago. And built it out, and then Microsoft acquired it from him. Um, and uh, you know, he went off and did his own ventures. But um, he hired he hired me on, and I got to be a you know, I got to start building solutions for small companies uh, through through. And the funny part is, it was in North Dakota. Started in North Dakota. Nice. <clears throat> so. I got you beat only on one thing. I uh, <laughs> mine was a three hundred baud modem on a Commodore sixty four. Um, half of my buddies yeah. were Apple two Cs. The other half were Commodores, so it was like the Crips and the Bloods, right? And That's right. Um, we were big in the BBS scene, and we all the Boy, good BBSs them. were in the two four eight area code. I tell the story a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were over in the five eight six. So we, uh, my buddy's brother, wrote a freaking program to run overnight to find the codes that worked for AT and T for the you know at seven digit for free long distance, right? And uh, we got to use it for about three four months. And uh, went on our favorite BBSs, and then uh, we got the phone bill. They caught up to us, and uh, my dad threw the modem in the basement, so I had to like sneak to my buddy's houses. So like, yeah, mine has uh, got in trouble a few times at school for for finding kids' grades and making fun of them, and you know, uh, found out I hated coding, but I like knew more than the teacher. But I got into I fell into sales and kind of you know went down that route. So I always knew stuff, but I, I stopped knowing right when you hit the GUI or the CLI or the right, 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 right. when it's time to code. I'm like, yep, I'm out. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, I did sell beer. So the whole Anheuser-Busch thing, uh, Oh yeah, that was my yeah, job. I loved, I loved working for them. It was a great yeah. company. And I just, you know, in fact, I was going to take a job out of college with them down in Florida in the Florida brewery. But when Microsoft came knocking, I was like, okay, maybe I'll go to a, like a, like a, you know, a true software company to learn some stuff. And then I'll, then I'll take a break and go over to, to actually applying it, yeah, so yeah. No, I I just, never yeah, that was my uh, selling beer in college. That was uh, you were you know get dinger cases for five bucks and bring them to parties with a case of uh, natty light. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it brings up a good point. Um, I always like doing that because ne- I don't want to say we're running it. We're running it. It is a talent talent shortage right now. And when when we came up, when I came up, all you really had to do was grab a CCNA or an MCSC. And you were guaranteed to be for a top level. Granted, you know, no one else ahead of us really knew much what they were doing. You know, you had the old uh, DARPANET guys or, you know what I mean? Some of the old timers, they were mainframers. But like for, for new technology, we were at like the perfect age. And I see now that went away. You don't that 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 cert, you know, because it used to be Splunk was a religion for a while where you could come up as a, you know, Splunker and then you were guaranteed to get in as an analyst somewhere. Um, it doesn't, ex- none of it exists anymore. I mean, they ha- I know they have X programs and they bring like boot camps and things like that and you'll get started as a BA or something. But like, you know, this huge talent shortage, but I, I, I kind of feel like the either the company's missed or or what missed, I guess. What's, what's your take on how do we feel? Because like, I, it's funny, my, I have, a teenage daughter at Michigan State, and I got a teenage daughter coming up. She goes, I don't know what to major in, Dad. I go, if you're going to ask me right now, I'm going to say cybersecurity yeah. or data science. And the first words out of her mouth are, F that. And I go, there's like 3,000 jobs you can do in both of those. It's not, you don't, you know, I don't know what they, they feed them, but like I looked at all of her friends that none of them are majoring in IT. None of them want to get into it. Wow. And I'm shocked because it's not sexy enough, I guess. I don't know. That's where the money's at too. And they're like, what you know, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't know. So like, what did do you see a disconnect or what I guess what is uh what's going on out there with the with I guess with the kid? How do we reach these kids? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when when these because when I first started at Microsoft, they were doing obviously the their certifications there. Um, and they were they asked us to get them. And I just never did, never spent the time to do it. 
you know, because I felt like, you know, they were snapshotting uh, technology and time and expecting you to go learn these proprietary things that would eventually just disappear in a couple of years later. And I feel I felt like that was such a waste of my time than learning some of the fundamental foundations of networking or or you know how switches worked or or just how to program uh you know the bytes and and and, and arrays in, in the in the operating system and stuff like that. And so I I just stick stuck stuck with the fundamentals. And I think that's a lot what happened is the market got so diverse in solutions that people didn't want to go out and get their badges of honor of these like of these, you know, these things that cost very expensive. You know, Cisco certifications are very expensive and you know, Microsoft certifications, MSDN, these all all these certifications were just really expensive to get and even study and get. Um, and so people stopped doing it because they just felt like it wasn't return on investment. Well, it was Twenty grand in New Horizons, I remember it vividly. For, yeah, for a yeah. basic. And then you then you were stuck in this never ending, you you know, there's you're not done certing ever. Right. Right. Never ending. And it's, and you felt like, it, like I said, it, you felt like it was just, I remember having the binders. They used to give them the binders of the, all the certifications for the MSD and stuff. And I used to have them on my, my wall. And I would say I could probably randomly pick one out and look at it and it would already be out of date. Sure. And it's just amazing how that changed. I, I think that, you know, a lot of these large companies, obviously Cisco being one of them, Oracle, they still have these things that exist and they're still sought after because they, they badge the, solution architect symbol onto them and say, okay, if you can understand this material and apply this material, you can be a solution architect, you can be a consultant, you can you can sell this stuff to companies that need solutions. And so we're gonna we're gonna that's how we're gonna manage our our learnings and our in our um you know our trainings. And I think that makes more sense is like you're kind of applying real world solutions. However, like I still don't think there's a massive return on investment because I know a guy who's been doing it. He does he doesn't even have a college degree. He's been doing it since you know, since I can remember, he started on SP, Cisco certified and, you know, CCNA and all this stuff. And he's been paying ever since. And he every year he has to spend a bunch of time learning new stuff because everything's obsolete. And I don't know if he's he even thinks it's it's useful anymore. Most of the good so ones I, I know either have biology degrees or they have or they didn't even graduate. <laughs> History, biology. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, literally we ask people, oh, I got a chem degree. And we, everybody starts laughing. You know, it's like, yeah, I, right. I taught myself, you know. Um, yeah. But when you look at like cybersecurity, I, Randy, how long have we been talking about this? Five years that they have a negative, is negative employment or negative unemployment, whatever the word yeah, is. It's um, hard to fill, and it's it, it, and you know, and that's the thing I tried to explain to my daughter, and that's that I don't know if that's getting through. It's like this is all about like putting a puzzle together. This is all about like my daughter thinks, you know, I've been in sales my whole career. I go, what do you think I do for a living? She goes, you answer the phone and say, you want to buy some shit. I go, God, <laughs> you just really, you know, like my career summed up in a nut or you, you take people out for beer. I'm like, that's not what I, you know, maybe it is kind of what I do, but you know, um, <laughs> But, you know, at least on the cyber thing, everything's a puzzle. Everything. We have a business yeah. problem. How do we solve it? And we're going to use a technology. It's, it, it, it is about technology, but only to solve a business problem. And otherwise, it doesn't exist. Um, and I don't know if that's getting through. If the, if the teacher community just doesn't get it or uh, the, the allure of it, I, I don't, you know, there's a huge disconnect right now. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. I think a lot of if you go and look at a lot of the security and or, you know, the different the different certificates that are out there, even the different majors that are out there, a lot of them don't apply to real world applications of things. So I think that's one of the biggest problems. I knew that some organizations like I know that MIT now has, you know, I, I walk past there once in a while here. We'll be over here in Boston and, you know, they they have some new degrees that are focused on on cybersecurity, and they they're all about like you were saying, solving puzzles, attack vectors, understanding how your adversary thinks, and so they're teaching it the right way. And I think that's what really gets thing people interested. I think that more programs need to do that is throwing people into the into the deep end and and you know and watching how they solve the problem and learning how to solve problems uh, and uh, and and think how a, an attacker would think. And and then you you train yourself to think like that all the time, and that's when you become good at it. And I think that's what's really missing is they're just trying to teach the information, and people get bored or they they just don't want to do it. And I think that's the biggest problem here. Well, if you think about it, what was the entry level uh, cybersecurity job? It was an analyst. What did it mean before UEBA? It was you looked at log files all day. Let's be honest, that sucks. Like yeah, it does. Yeah. you know what did what'd you do today? I looked at. 30,000 log files. Um, 
and then like there was no one. That's what I did. I'm like, that's not, you know, I don't want to say to gamify it, but like that that's a that, that's a candidly, it's a garbage job, and you know it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a lot of the, a lot of the jobs are like. I mean, even data entry jobs, they used to just have you sit at the you know and just convert. Uh, text into database entries. You didn't, we weren't actually a database administrator. You were you were a data entry person, and, and that was just a boring hell job. I mean, all of them seem to, to turn out like that, and so people don't want to get into them, even though they might pay pretty consistently and statically. So you got um, into a, a cybersecurity, and I, I like having CISOs on for, for for a few different reasons. One, I like ragging on sales guys because I think that I think my profession's been destroyed by a few bad bad apples. I think every profession gets destroyed, but. Um, I'm a, I'm the I'm the uh, do you ever see the weightlifter guy that always yells do better be better whatever um, he's like just he trashes on people on TikTok and he's like do better oh. like I'm totally that guy for for the sales community but like for the cyber community I always get enthralled with the amount of vendors that come into the space and all the all the uh, the just the garbage acronyms that get invented. Um, I got a I got a text from a listener uh, a week ago, and he was like, "I because I was writing notes when you interviewed so and so, and he goes, I loved your line. Nobody gives a shit about your dashboard. You know, tell me how you solve a business problem." I, I remember go, that episode. Yeah. yeah, and it's like everybody, you know, the first thing when you talk to a guy is like, "Oh, I want to show you my dashboard." I'm like, "No one cares." Like, what what is go- in your opinion? I, I'm dying to know what like how do you get through the mess of this vendor landscape? There's just it seems like for every one that dies to or one that gets acquired to pop up you know Cisco right. by Splunk and it's like all right you know I got 1300 RIP uh, Splunk text that day um, you know what's your take on the on the vendor landscape in the cyber world yeah I think the, the biggest problem is they do generalize all these things to say hey these are the these are solutions that will solve all of your problems like zero trust or DevSecOps or you know th- these types of things right these are things that are supposed to unify your organization and find solutions that will bridge the you know get you to thing where you need to be cheaper and I think that's the biggest problem is you know a lot of these analysts or you know uh, you know Gartner or whatnot they're bringing they're building these sectors and then they're they're kind of you know, glorifying a lot of the vendors out there to be, you know, high in that sector. And so, the, you know, you as an organization think, well, what do I need? Well, I need security. Well, maybe I'll just go find something that's, you know, Seam or maybe I go find something that has, uh, you know, that has uh, SD-WANs. Maybe that'll help me. So, like, I'm going to go figure that out, right? So, I think they... We need more SACE. Are, Let's put some right. SACE in. That'll yes. fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I think that all of them have... I mean, that's the biggest problem is they generalize these things and people don't really know what they're getting. In fact, I had a, a guy on one time that talked about their software was all about reducing costs by finding the things that you paid for that you don't need and that you don't use. And so they did, they have some machine learning that goes, figures out where you're, you're, you're and, and they're finding that most people use about, about 10% of what they purchase, like 80% of all yeah. the things that they paid for. So you're paying for sassy solutions or seam solutions or all these things, and you're only using 10% of it. And so you're just paying for nothing. Uh, and I think that's, that's just a huge problem is, is people can't weed through all the bull and figure out what they actually need, and that's why you need people like you were saying that are that work in the trenches that understand the the actual problems they're trying to solve, and then work your way up from the ground rather than the other way around is just buying a bunch of solutions. Well, that was the thing. Zero trust was never a product, and the they came out and they said, you know, hey, we're gonna we, we're a zero trust product, and we're like, well, what the hell does that mean? It was, you know, it was always a philosophy the way I interpreted it. You know, I'm just yep. a dumb sales guy. So I'm like, all right. So I would ask everyone, like, wait, walk me through this. And it's still a philosophy, in my opinion, but it, there are people are still selling products. Right. And it, yeah. again, it's true. I mean, the, the products are that they're trying to sell is obviously they're saying, hey, like, well, like, I think the, some of the ones that are pretty interesting are like they'll walk through your network and find all of your, you know, your, at, you know, the services you're running, all the vendors that you use and find a way to, you know, to isolate them and see what identity services. So they do a lot of scanning and reporting and and recommendation engines. To sit there. That's the kind of the zero trust they have. Or they make you, again, they tunnel you down to using specific hardware or endpoints that they manage that they, you know, so that this way you're kind of forced in that direction. So any service that runs through it. So these are, again, generalized solutions that probably cost you an arm and a leg eventually to implement if you if you buy into it. So I think, you know, understanding the fact that zero trust is all about breaking up your services that, you know, the whole term of micro segmentation and making sure that you that, you know, that you know who's accessing them, how they're accessing them and using things like 
MFA and identity management and all that stuff, that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it takes a lot of knowledge of understanding what you're doing. Like you can't just buy a solution that's going to go and do it for you. So I think that's another big misnomer in the in the enterprise. So did they finally fix uh, email phishing? Because I remember <laughs> there was a story a week about you know Susie in accounting clicked the email, sent a six hundred thousand dollar check from you know the CFO said you know, and you don't either. They're, either they're being very quiet about it now, and you know, and I also don't hear. Um, the the attacks either where they're they're shutting companies down. They're the you know is the media just not reporting on it or what what's uh what's going on out there? I think that the you know a lot of these companies are pretty afraid now. I mean you see you hear some in the news you hear a lot of you know, ransomware is still on the rise, right? I mean and they're all usually driven by email phishing and you know and, and that kind of thing. I would say that a lot of companies are just afraid of some of the latest um, you know. Uh, things that are going on around rules and, you know, and, and different, uh, things, the potential fees that they might get charged if they make these things public. So they're being really, really, uh, cavalier about what they choose to disclose and that. So I think that's part of it. Some of these things are smaller than they think. So then, so, you know, I think there's a certain dollar amount or a certain impact on your customers or users you have to, you have to disclose. And, and so if it's smaller than that, they're just kind of keeping it under wraps. I think that's most of the problems because if you think about it, phishing is probably one of the largest, um, issues that are out there today. And there's a lot of advanced threat protection or email protection that they try to sell people. But the reality is it comes down to the weakest link and your weakest link is the people. Absolutely. People are reading the emails, right? Um, and I don't think you're ever going to, unless you're going to have force people through hordes and hordes of mindless training around how, how, you know, how an email can come in and, and how you're supposed to get through phishing. It's it's never going to be a solution. So I tell you know I tell my kids I tell my coworkers I'm like do not click any link go to the URL in a browser period for whatever for yeah. your bank for Best Buy to whatever they're trying to hack my Venmo 13 times a day I get constant emails yeah, I know it's it's crazy I started getting you know, phone it, calls press one yeah, the the best the best thing I've ever been through I was, I was at a company it was a bank I can't tell you who the bank is but they did this thing where I was actually on site it was embedded engineer with this bank to help them out with the solution. And they, they, what they did is they went through this campaign and they actually sent phishing emails. They were, you know, they they were created by the by the bank to just to teach their, their employees about like phishing emails. And when, you know, and they, they tried to see if the person did the right thing. Did they click the link? Did they respond? Did they, what did they do? Right. Did they delete it. And based off of that, they essentially, you know, sent them another reason saying, okay, you clicked on this link. This is what you did wrong. you know that kind of thing. And I think it was probably one of the best campaigns I saw because it was like they essentially put these people through this thing and they said, this is what could have happened. Like your credentials could have been stolen and the bank could have been compromised. And, you know, and they kind of went them through what they had done and what they could have caused. And I saw a lot of people respond to that. Like a lot of people were like, hey, I'm never clicking on a freaking link again in my email or or I'm always going to look for the email address to make sure it's internal or, you know, so like it was definitely you know, they used a little bit of fear in there, a little bit of training, a little bit of you know exercise there. And I think it worked really well. And so that's some of the things I do even with my kids is like, okay, here's look at this email. What do you what do you see? What's wrong with this thing? You know, and I think that's really how we're going to keep things safer nowadays, um, you know, before you add all this other layering into the system. Some so. of the funny local stories was it's two FinServe companies, both in the same space. One of them, they did the phishing thing internal. And the the worst performing group was the security team. <laughs> For some reason, all of the analysts clicked it. And then at another one, they were leaving. What the hell were those things called, Randy? Um, the USB keys that you, you were just—they were just leaving around parking lots. Just, you, you, oh, you I know, remember that. I don't know what USB. There's a, there's a name for it. I've, it's, um, but they were leaving. Oh, leaving all, where they were infected. Yeah, yeah. Where people were using them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were leaving. Yeah. So people were smart. They were grabbing them and going, "Oh, you know, oh shit! Here, HR. Here's this thing I found. This is bad." And then HR was plugging them in. So <laughs> they're like, yeah, we kind of failed. Like we need, you know, we need to trade more than just the, you know, the people. This is this got hit from everywhere. So I think again, yeah, it's the people. And I think um, I don't think here's the thing. It's all about you know how fast can you get back up and running? Where's your data sitting? Is it backed up? How far? How much are you backing up? You know. Right. And I wanted to talk. That was one of the things I was thinking about today. I wanted to talk to you about was. You know, we always the the next big boom, like the, it was electricity or steam engine, electricity, and then now it's the or the internet. And now it's data, and they're they're trying to profess this as the next big thing. 
And I'm going through the same stuff I went through with cybersecurity like five years ago, where now you have your let's go let's go through the buzzwords. You ready? You want to help me with this one? You have data in motion. You have data cataloging. You have data quality. You have data lakes. You have data clean rooms. You have uh, da- well, then you get into the visual, the, the dashboarding, and the reporting, and the. I'm trying to think of all the other things in the data. You know, there's probably 13 I'm missing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, data protection and yeah, uh, yeah, deduping yeah. and 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 all that. Well, that's part of quality. But uh, what, again, and then now there's 16 vendors you got to deal with, and nobody's yeah. do- everybody's doing about three quarters of the way good in the snowflakes and the data bricks. But you still need something else. You still need a confluent. You still need a, a, a you know, Informatica still plays. You know, like what 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 do you make sense of that world? Is it like I know like a lot of it's marketing jargon with data clean room and all that, but it's a good, but it makes sense. Yeah, I think this is this is another problem with a lot of organizations because they have lots of data. Most people, most companies, whether they're SMBs, small little mom and pops, they have tons of data. I have customers, they have tons of data. They don't know what to do with it, and so they go to look to see, okay, well, how do I secure my data? How do I back up my data? What do I? How do I make it so it's searchable or usable, or I can I can I can profit off of this data, or you know? So what do I do? And so again, these companies are selling that, right? They're saying, hey, just we'll just ingest all your data, and all your problems, your business problems, go away. We'll back it up for you. We'll make put it in the cloud for you. We'll analyze it for you. We'll tell you which customers to contact for you. And the reality is, like every business has a different need, and 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 none of these solutions will ever, without a bunch of customizations, will ever be a one stop shop. And I think that's the biggest problem is companies um, people don't really know what they need. And so they go and buy these massive solutions. I mean, obviously, you know, working for Microsoft, we have all the things you just mentioned, and they're all different Azure services that I can go and plug into, right? <laughs> and I could go buy them one by one and start putting my data there. The question is, that unless I really know what I'm doing there um, or what I'm going to be overlapping over top of it or what kind of data analytics I'm doing or analysis cubes I'm building... Like it's really just an extra service I'm paying for just to store my data. So, like I think that's the biggest problem is they just don't know how to apply this stuff. And I think you could probably have a marketeer come out to every business and tell them how great it's going to be, but uh, you know, and companies will buy into it until they find out again they're not using half of it. So right. you know, I think well, that's and then the you know, five years ago MDM was mobile device management. Now it's master data management. And it's right. like, well, what the hell is that? So like, I'll hear MDM in a meeting. I go, what are we doing with the cell phones? And they're like, idiot. Like, like get get get, get in 2023. I'm like, oh, oh sorry, sorry. Um, but it's a thing where we're still, you think they'd figure out we're not the acronym hell thing. It, it, and it's worse today, I think. It's now that the four letter acronyms, it's just, it's getting to be, you know, I'm waiting for the five letter acronyms, right? Um, it, it's, you know, still, I don't know, like the people that have been in this business, and you wonder why the kids aren't getting into IT, right? After all the shit we just talked about for the last half hour, um, <laughs> just trying to figure this whole world out. You know, I wouldn't change a thing for the world. I love it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, God, they make it confusing. And I don't know if it's the marketers I try or the product people. I don't, you know, they're going to blame the salespeople. You know, it, it's all, right. it all, you know, that, that circle of death, you know. Well, they go after the trends. I mean, you, you, you know, we, we talked about, we talked a little bit of ransomware in the beginning. Like, you know, that's the fear right now. Each, every company, especially medical companies are freaking out about ransomware. What are they doing? Well, they're paying, they're doing exactly what the industry wants them to do. They're going to pay for ransomware insurance. That's number one. And then they're also going into a lot, backup by solutions. The way, a right. lot. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think that's the problem is they, they, these marketeers and these corporations, they go after the trending fears of the day and they provide solutions. I guess that's what startups do too. I mean, that's where a lot of these startups are doing AI around is they're using AI to solve some of the trending issues that are out there today. And some of them might work reliably. Some of them might not. We have no clue until people start utilizing them. And I, I think that's the biggest problem is they companies, there's so much stuff that's that's out there that's watering everything down that nobody really knows how to use it. So let's get into AI real quick. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the hot one right now. And, um, I think, uh, I don't want to say that there's a misnomer because I think a lot of us that have been around, like this is more or less machine learning, but then it, the generative part is what changed things. Cause we're always used to the baselining weird looking, you know, baselining normal looking for weird with the machine learning world. And now we're getting into this, generative stuff and everyone's intrigued and scared and opportunistic and uh oh and you know everything else that matters and then we you know we've written a hundred use cases for it right. and everybody wants to talk to us about it but it's like well 
what are we what is it that we're doing here um like you know it's more than just a chat bot too i mean what what what, yeah. what are you seeing on your side of the world yeah i mean i think the problem is there you know i've talked about this um you know till i was blue in the face i mean it's it's the truth is a lot of the stuff you're seeing is a lot of parlor tricks right there are people of course the youtube expert the youtube influencers are getting out there and they're doing fancy things and they're giving you checklists and how you can use large language models and chatbots and generating things and making money off of it and all that stuff and so it's definitely become a parlor trick that people go okay well what do we really need this for business but i think what i'm seeing in the industry in general is that Machine learning, especially specialized machine learning models, natural language processors, you know, um, you know, the, these neural networks, these specialized models that do very specific things, those are the ones that make the most impact for companies because they are specialized for their very specific you know, um, uh, thing. Like example would be, you know, you know, I, I like to talk about the latest DDoS attack on Google that happened. One of the biggest in the world that happened in history. It was it was taken down in two minutes. And the reason why it was taken down in two minutes or stopped in two minutes was Google used special machine learning models to detect this traffic and shut it down. And I think that's where the power of machine learning and AI comes in is it's specialized models that are trained for very specific things and very specific data. And they go do things a lot faster than a human can do even, even, you know, and, 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 you know, I would have gotten an alert in two minutes, but it would have taken me a while to go shut a bunch of things down. So I think that's, yep. that's the key where AI exists. And I would see these, these generative technologies, I think where it helps is actually, you know, helping you, you know, summarizing things is one of the biggest things. So if I got a bunch of logs, just like Splunk is doing, right, they get a bunch of logs, they're able to weed out all the noise and give you what's useful in that log information. Well, that's exactly what a lot of these generative technologies, you can ask them questions using natural language, they can go and, you know, generate these actions or insights that go and uh, apply to these models that then models run in the background, and they process data for you and produce, you know, produce results. I that's where the power is. It's it's a bridge. It's an abridged guide to getting to the to the uh, to the to the to the to the final destination faster than you could possibly do as a human. It's not this other stuff that they're 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 parading around. See the hallucination stuff scares me, and I'll give you an example. We just talked about this with uh, Scott Smith uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was if you don't feed it. The question, it's kind of like your wife. If you don't ask it exactly what you want, <laughs> the answer will not be what you want to hear. Um, it's, um, But basically what it did, it hallucinated and it said, well, why did you say that? Because it knew it was false. And it said, well, that's what I thought you wanted to hear. You're like, oh no, like this, what did we get ourselves into? Right. It's like, and you know, and the biggest, I hate to bring security back into it, but that's our biggest conversations we have every day is if I feed this thing, all my stuff where does it stop, right? Because right. a lot of the use cases we're doing now is digitizing. Like uh, we're working on a project right now where we're um, digitizing the the fix books for the robots on a on an assembly line, and basically that you can you know, hey, this thing's got an error. Here's the error code. What's the fix? And so instead of looking through a manual like they used to, we can quick type and it's like an internal Google for the for the operator's manual. Fantastic. But like what happens if that operator's manual gets out? Right. Right. Um, that was I met with a large motorcycle manufacturer once and they said if our if our uh that's a based out of Milwaukee, you've never heard of them. Um but they said basically if our plans get to China, like we we're dead as a company. And so like security's on everybody's mind. So like everybody wants to jump into Gen AI, but like right. how do we you know, again, how do we insulate and, and stop this stuff from getting out to the to the greater LLM, right? Yeah, I think that that that's there's a company that I talked to recently, Adion. They they build these models themselves internally, and they basically do um, they 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 bring in pharmaceutical data tra- data that's from trials, and they do analytics, and they you know they process and they use other data like for instance people's social feeds and medical history, and they actually um, and they actually helped with uh, the the COVID vaccines becoming uh, you know more prominent because of the data that they use. And these models, they basically bring this data in-house and they put it in their own virtual network that's only accessible by the customer. And they use these models that are generic generic models but then are trained specifically for the data set that they're using. And their whole company and, and, and the way that they operate is, is based off of that. And I think that's the models that companies want to know about is that, is that their data is safe. It's 
segmented and segregated away from anybody else. It's only accessible by them. And when the models run at the end of the day and they produce the insights, they don't go anywhere but where they have access to and nobody else has access to it. And I think that's that's where companies will start to feel more comfortable with it is the fact that this edge, I guess you can call it almost edge AI, where they're, you, they're bringing these models down to the edge to where only corporations have access to them and any type of learning that it does, it only does it on their data and um, it applies and it only gets stored in their, you know, in their private virtual networks or whatever it's in. And I think that's why the, these pharmaceutical companies feel very safe with ADN. And I feel like that's where a lot of these other companies will feel safe too. If you're just going to go and apply, you know, generative technologies in your organization to, you know, in, again, in a very general way, you're definitely going to be in the, in the shape that a lot of people are in is that, you know, it's going to be ingesting and producing insights that you might not need or want, or, and it could be, you know, uploading data to other organizations that you have no idea. So yeah, I think it, it needs to be, very specialized. I think this is the next, like you were saying, is you know these, you know these skills of figuring out what models are right for what organizations and how to set them up and and, and bring them in house into private networks or private clouds is really the next step. So, Does, do you think it makes it less valuable though? Because like the whole, it's kind of like Google. It's only as good as what you can feed it, right? Um, I don't think it makes it less there's, there's I mean, a, you, as long as you give it the right data. I mean, unless you're saying the data that they need is 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 what google like everything that everyone's ever talked about right i think that's the key is like i'll give you an example um uh, open ai has chat gpt have these new plugin models and you can basically say okay i don't want to use gpt4 or gpt3 i want to use the plugins the data sets that are within these plugins these research files or these things over here and you know then you get more specialized responses it's not as fun as you're getting from the normal chat gps but they're more specialized and they they answer the exact questions like you were saying that you're looking for um and they're not as creative they don't necessarily produce hallucinations as much and i think that's the key is like corporations will find more use out of that than the you know the 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 general the AGI right the the ability to think on its own and 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 use all the data data in the world right and become become its its own uh, its own technology I think that's people are conflating those two things. See, I always see the evil on the internet. I think I spent too much time on uh, Reddit. Um, but you know, here's the thing. It, you know, if you say the sky is blue, and I create a bot and I create you know, three billion web pages that say the sky is green. And now AI picks that up and says, what color is the sky? And it's conflicted. You know, there's three billion people say it's green. You know, two billion people say it's blue. I think it's green. You know, it's easily swayable. So like, again, you know, we don't want to get into this whole purveyor of truth thing, but it's at the end of the day. So how the hell do you govern all this? This It's going to be madness. And it's we're not far off from it. Right. Yeah. I think that's that is one of the big problems is that, you know, I, I was I was talking to somebody, one of the one of the leading uh, architects um, in in the open AI world. And he was saying, you know, what would be really interesting is to watch these things learn, but then learn from each other and then not only learn from each other, but learn from their hallucinations. And so now you're rewriting history based off the hallucinations. And so again, when you say somebody asks the question, it becomes the answer is the hallucination. And you go to any one of these AI, you know, AI chat systems or generative systems, they all produce the same information because they're using the same hallucination as historical context. And he's like, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about them not knowing the difference and feeding each other. And eventually our history yeah. becomes blanked out. We're going to have to save our historical documents because if we don't, the history becomes what AI says history is. Right. And I think that's 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 the scary part of it. And then they create their own language. Then they lock us out. Then they figure out how to kill us. You know, we've seen this movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I think because that's a that's the first time we have these. Every time we have this conversation for the first time with someone who's like, I've seen Skynet. Like, talk to you know, and uh, then they show. Oh look, pretty chat bot. You know, oh look, there's right. you know, <laughs> here's a here's a person talking to you when you ask a question. Like, ooh, you know, it's like Homer with the parlor <laughs> tricks. Yeah, that those are the scary ones though. <laughs> I you know the ones that I find the most valuable. Are like I'll give an example. I you know I read a lot of articles and I talk to a lot of people even before our shows to try to learn a lot. Some of the things I don't know about, like I, a lot of the times I interview people and I don't know their market, and so I have to go and learn. And so I'll go pull up research papers. And you know, if you've ever read a research paper before, sometimes you want to pull your hair out with how yeah. boring they yeah. are. That's um, what happened so, to my hair. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can pull this right, the beard here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the, you know, what I use things like chat GPT for is I feed the research paper and I say, give me five terse bullets that give me the exact things that I should know about here. Right. And I give it some more instructions and it, it produces the information. And again, I also scan the document, make sure again, it didn't hallucinate on me, but it really, really helps me boil down and distill down the information to what I need to know. And I'll tell you, that's really helpful in email. It's really helpful in large documents that people send me sometimes. You know, again, I'm using these these co-pilot techniques that Microsoft has uh, now that it has really changed the shape of my job because now I don't have to you know schedule a bunch of time during the day to go learn about something new or read about something because I have an abridged version of that. Um, you know, even Microsoft Teams has this built in now too. So I can go through, you know, chat sessions that are, you know, 20 days long and say, okay, give me the outcomes of every day and give me the action items that I have on me or what what's still in question or whatever. And it will answer me my questions without me having to do the work to go do it. That's the power of these things. It's not generating new lyrics to to let it be, you know, like it's <laughs> it's like, it's just amazing to see how people, you know, get into the weeds on it. Homer Simpson uh, and, and Scarface, yeah, all the you know all the crap that we played with. Um, me, I wish they took all the audio and gave me my meeting notes. But the problem is, the whole bottom half would be like, "Who ordered turkey? I didn't <laughs> want this, you know, soup. You know, right. like how do you discern between? No, no, I want this part. Delete all that. You know, because the first half, yeah. first ten minutes is always, you know, how are the kids. Yeah, the audio, the audio is hard. Audio, audio yeah. translation transformation is definitely hard. I think the I don't use it for that. I usually use it mainly just for text to text, right? Text summary because that's just much easier uh, static data that can they can use. Our voice is a lot harder, right? Because of all the all the all the uh, transformations and and detections it has to do. So, yeah, so now we've, it's we've a hard just figured out how to uh, incorporate Gen AI with blockchain with digital transformation with the cloud. <laughs> With, He'd uh, be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those are always my uh, my favorite. Because I'm like, you, you brought up, I, I, I hate to go all the way back, but like in the first 10 minutes, you brought up like an actual usable thing with blockchain. And I always thought, I thought it was gone. Like, I'm not going to lie. What yeah. is, uh, have, are you seeing it being applied today in the, like, is it a thing? That's a good question. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I mean, I think organizations are utilizing it as a way to decentralize their data, decentralize their networks. Um, and I, you know, I, I still think it's applied. Like I think, like I was saying, I you knew a good guy is Adam Jackson. He, he started a company called brain trust. And, you know, when I, when he started talking about blockchain, I thought the same thing. I thought web, you know, web 3.0 was kind of on its way out. Crypto was on the downfall. Does it make sense to do it? But the way they've implemented it is they utilize what's good about it. And that's the whole concept of, of blockchain and, and decentralization. And I think that's kind of like, like if you think about it, social networks like Mastodon and the others ones that are out there, they're still utilizing it as well. And they make sense. But I think the, the way that Mastodon is implemented, you know, where it's, it's kind of hard to discover stuff and, and, you know, and, and find people and follow people and, and post across these different decentralized servers is a hard thing. And they haven't like figured that out, but it's still out there. I mean, it's a great technology. It's a great idea. It's just that you're not going to see a lot of it in the enterprise because, again, that gets away from some of the big tech companies that are out there that are not utilizing it that say it's not useful, and you know that the, you want to be at a you know a a, um, a very trusted cloud service provider, right? Like AWS or or you know anybody that's out there, all all the all the big wigs, right? That why go to a decentralized system if you can have that. Um, but you see a lot more in 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 medical. Like the medical is still using blockchain and technologies there. You see a lot of it. Um, you know, uh, banks use it actually surprisingly in the background, the back end um, for um, how they're managing some of their transactional systems. So not not for crypto, but for like you know for other systems. So it's still out there. Right. It's just you know people. It's lost its luster basically. I don't see it. I like I see it for compute. Like, hey, I want to grab, you know, if I'm gaming, like I, I see certain applications. Like if I'm banking and I have data and I have like data I need secured. I hate God, I hate using security all the time. But like again, I don't want that decentralized. Anyway, that's just me. I'm just a dumb sales guy. Um, but hey, what are you uh, what are you watching these days? What's uh, what are you doing for fun? Man, I you know, I just went through um Silo. You ever see the show Silo and um uh, amazing, amazing uh, thing on Apple TV. 
Um, you know, I, I started getting into, you know, I, I always liked the old 80s Quantum Leap show. And so I started seeing the new Quantum Leap show on uh, Peacock. So I started watching that. Pretty good. It's actually pretty good. Um, I was debating because I like the old one too much. Oh my god! I showed that I showed the old one to my kids, and one of my oldest is thirteen, and he watched it. and He goes, "This is this is terrible," and I'm like, "It's not <laughs> terrible." He's like, "It's too cheesy." And then I had him watch the new one. He goes, "I really like the new one." I'm like, "Man, that sucks. <laughs> the old one's great." <laughs> yeah, it's got the new technology. It's better. Yeah, did you watch? Yeah, uh, yeah. Did you watch Ahsoka? What do you think? Oh, I loved it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, fantastic. You know, I I think that they feel 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 only. How do you say his last name? Feel. What's Dave's Dave last Fino, name? Now you messed me up. F- yeah, I'm sorry. Filo- Filoni. 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 I think the guy's a genius. Like he definitely holds yeah. true to everything that's. I, in fact, it's funny you said that because I was just reading this. Oh, Timothy Zahn's uh, oh, the- Thrawn book, and I was reading it before yeah. Ahsoka came on because I really wanted to understand the back history with all of that. And I think he, I think they did a fantastic job. I was really excited about it. I, I got. I don't get angry, but I get really angry what seven, eight, nine should have been. I think that's what Filoni's doing is this is a middle finger to seven, eight, nine. And I'm looking yep. at this going, oh, oh my God, can you imagine if it started, you know, five years after Jedi? And I'm like, I get wait. See, here's the thing. Like, you know, I saw Star Wars when I was five in the theater. I'm old man. Like, this has been religion to me my whole yeah. life. Like, yeah. You know, I still have the Burger King glasses on my mantle. Like, you know what I mean? This is, you know, I didn't read the books. I'm not a bit, I've never been a big reader, but like, um, I want everything else I consume, like it's religion and like, yeah, it's yeah. so, it's so good. I think one of the first movies I saw actually is funny. You said that is it was a bootleg copy of, uh, of, of star Wars. Like, you know, my, 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 my uncle used to have these bootleg copies where people used to go in and take the camera, you know? And, uh, and so we had the cassette tape or the VCR tape that we pulled, we dropped in and I, it was sideways. And, and that's how I watched star Wars for the first time as a bootleg copy uh, of it. And I'll <laughs> never forget it. It was always, it was, it was, I was, I was hooked after that. We'll end with this. Did you see the, the book that came out that had Lucas's vision for seven, eight, nine, like 30 years ago? No, I didn't. And he basically came out and said, you know, this one, there was one about the the son or the grand, you know, then it was about the last one was about the kids. And so Princess Leia was supposed to be the grand chancellor. Luke was starting up the Jedi temple. Um, it was the the solo twins, right? Which would have been, you know, Kylo Ren and, and uh, you know, uh, what's her face? And, and basically would have followed that journey. Then it would have been like the Mandalorian where. Uh, the Fets owned, you know, it would have been like, but then Ma- Maul was part of it and he was training someone. So like this, yeah. Then the whole baby Yoda Mandalorian, that whole, th- like, that's why I think Filoni's doing, writing this whole arc because it right. should have been seven, eight, nine. Absolutely. Your synopsis there is already better than seven, eight, and nine. Oh, better story. Yeah. Better oh. story already. Oh, well, I agree with it. They're already writing it. it. It was the, it followed the books too, the books because they made them non-canon. The, anyway, I don't, I'm going to get my blood pressure up. So on, the, on that note, Hey, we can find, uh, we can find Lou on twit.tv this week in enterprise technology. You call it tweet, twiet, 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 yep. twiet. I didn't yes. like that when you said that, but I'll get used to it. <laughs> um, but no, this has been honestly, it's been an absolute honor. This is kind of like uh, when I when I got to interview Anthony Michael Hall. This goes right up there in the uh, in the in the top of the uh, trophy case. Like that, that's a great interview. I mean that. Um, but yeah, Lumaresca, find him on twit.tv. This has honestly been an honor. I look forward to a future podcast with you. And congrats on five hundred. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Randy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. On behalf of Bob and Randy, this is the IT and the D Show. We like to wrap things up. Do us a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.